Thank you for downloading this podcast from Abrupt Audio. You can find more episodes of this and many other podcasts at abruptaudio.com. Subscribe today to get the next episode automatically. Coming up on this week's Pixel podcast. BMW and Daimler in supposed talks with Apple over a new car project. Has technology gone too far? We'll talk more about that later. New exploit in the division. And our main topic this week is all to do with Microsoft discontinuing the Xbox 360. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Pixel Podcast. I'm your host as always, Ben, and this week I will be joined, like I said before, as always, by Martin. Hello, Ben. Thank you. It's great to be back on the Pixel Podcast. So myself and Martin have a very special announcement to make this week. We're going to be setting out, along with a friend of ours, on a 24-hour game stream for charity. All the information to what charity and why we're raising the money will be found on uh, the show notes and also on bit.ly forward slash BLF24HR2016. Really catchy, I know. But like I said, we're going to be setting out on a 24-hour game stream. We're going to be doing loads of fun challenges. But the important one for you podcast fans, we're going to be doing a live recording of the Pixel podcast on the night itself or during the 24 hours. Now, to find out more information, like I said, go to bit.ly forward slash BLF24Hour2016. But we hope you're going to be able to join us on the 14th of May for the challenge that we're going to set out and join us for the whole journey. It's going to start at 4 p.m. BST, 24 hours and finishing on the 15th at 4 p.m. BST. More details on bit.ly forward slash BLF 24 hour 2016 or in the show notes on the Abrupt Audio website. We thank you for your support so far and everything we've done and we hope that you can join us as uh, it should be a really, really good 24 hours packed with loads of gaming, tech, and of course, like I said, a live recording of the podcast. So to finish up housekeeping this week, don't forget that you can follow us on our brand new Twitter page. It is at Pixel Podcast to check out the show notes for everything we talk about this week on the Abrupt Audio website, abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. It's P-I-X-3-L. You can also check us out on iTunes and the podcast app if you're an iOS user. Or if you're on Android, you can check us out on the Stitch app. And with that, let's dive into this week's catch-up topics. If ever there's a Minecraft movie, it'll likely be a blockbuster. Pixel Podcast. Our first topic this week is to do with BMW and Daimler over the reported talks with Apple over a rumoured car project. Apple won't officially confirm that it's working on an electric semi-autonomous car, but if the rumours are true, it could need to partner with a seasoned car company to help it navigate the tricky and expensive world of automobile manufacturing. Today, the list of potential partners just got a little shorter. BMW and Daimler have discontinued negotiations with Apple over the tech giant's rumoured car, codenamed Project Titan, according to German business publication Handelsblatt. Industry sources tells Handelsblatt that the automakers left the negotiation table over disagreements related to what else, control and data. Apple wants the car to be closely built into its own cloud software, while the German car makers have made customer data protection a key element of their future strategy, the magazine persists. Talks with BMW collapsed last year, while discussions with Daimler, which makes Mercedes-Benz, broke down only recently, the magazine states. Apple CEO Tim Cook visited BMW's headquarters in Munich last year, and senior Apple executives toured the car company's factory in Leipzig to see how it makes its i3 electric car. Soon after talks between Apple and BMW ended. 
Canadian-Austrian-based automotive contract manufacturer Magna is still in the running to make Apple's car. German publication Frankenfurter Allgemeine, the German press, is straight up owning the beat. Recently reported that Apple has created a secret lab in Berlin where it has poached a small team of 15 to 20 engineers from a number of German car companies. Apple is also shopping for car executives in the US. The company reported just hired Chris Porritt, Tesla's former vice president of vehicle engineering. This comes four months after Steve Zdecki, the head of Project Titan, reportedly left the company. Now, this is all very, very interesting. I think, honestly, the more I read rumors about it, it might be more and more plausible that Apple will bring out an electric car. I mean, it kind of is the next step for them, really, after a lot of things. They've already integrated them to a lot of people's car with CarPlay, where you can hook up your iPhone and you have a special UI in the touchscreen interface uh, that's built into the car where you can control stuff in your iPhone. So knowing Apple, they don't like to just have uh, a UI. They like to have the full control and create the whole device that goes with it, that being a car possibly. And I mean, if Tesla can do it, I think Apple could probably do it. Um, but I think some of the bigger car companies are less likely to go with it, as we've seen here, mainly because they've, one, probably got their own projects that they want to work on and probably realized, hang on, we're going to make more profit if we don't partner with Apple because when we don't have to give Apple a cut. And we're already well known in uh, the industry. People know us and trust us. Uh, whereas I think Apple uh, will have to do something new and fresh and, and maybe with a car company who could do with the publicity that Apple could bring. Martin, how do you feel? I think you're right, Ben, when you said... Um like BMW is a well-established car manufacturer, Apple needs to go with sort of a, a lesser known so they can bring that publicity up and also also get more sales out of it. As well as, I can actually see an Apple car in the next, say, 20 to 30 years, definitely. Like you said, their next step is going to be a car. And, and when... And I'm going to even look even further into the future. What says then it may be a plane? You know, I can see them diving into more industries uh, as the years uh, go up and up. I, however, right now, I feel like Apple aren't in that position to sort of venture into cars on the pure basis that um, it's a different mechanics, it's a different system altogether. And having talks with um, car manufacturers like BMW, it's a good way to get maybe a bit more insight and maybe they should take the back seat first before going head into making their own cars. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic at the moment and it can kind of go either way. Uh, but I would say the heavy rumors and some of the evidence that out there is Apple is definitely looking into this field, whether or not they're looking to make their own cars people are suggesting or whether they're looking to further integrate themselves into an electric car uh, that's gonna come out on the market anyway. Who knows? But I guess we're going to have to wait and see. And of course, we'll keep you updated as always here on Pixel Podcast. For our next topic, Sega will officially support modded Genesis games on Steam. Sega plans to allow legal distribution of modded Genesis games on the PC through the Steam Workshop. Support will come alongside the new Sega Mega Drive Classics Hub on Steam, which also features a fully 3D rendered 90s bedroom as a way to access your purchased Genesis games. Sega says the following list of games will be supported in the hub. There are some odd omissions right now. For example, Sonic the Hedgehog series, but according to the company, a quote here, every single Mega Drive game, end quote, will get Steam Workshop support. So I'm gonna quickly go through this list here, Ben. So you got Crackdown, which was quite a favorite, Galaxy Force 2, Biohazard Battle, and to finish it all off, why not go with Beyond Oasis. So do you think this is a smart move for Sega or do you feel like this is just to regain that nostalgia back for players? 
I mean, Sega haven't really got a lot going for them at the moment. They haven't got a lot of great uh, new exciting franchises which are doing extremely well, so they probably don't have a lot of choice. And I think with the PC community and the Steam community, I think it's either you show support of your previous games or gamers slash other game companies will find a way around it and provide those games anyway. So it's good that they're actually giving a way to access those games easily. And I do like the idea of the 3D rendered 90s bedroom as a way to access games. I think it's really, really cool. So I can imagine maybe a VR version of that. We can actually look around the bedroom, pull off a game, put it in your Sega Mega Drive. That would be absolutely awesome. I can imagine that in my mind right now. Uh, definitely be a time tunnel. A little bit surprised that there was no uh, Sonic the Hedgehog game in this list, mainly because that would kind of be the big seller on the on on, on the, the front of it. I think that should be the big poster child of um, this deal and uh, what they're trying to sell here, because for a lot of people, that's kind of the game that people want to go and back and play, and the rest are kind of things that they'll touch on if they were a big Mega Drive user. So hopefully uh, we'll see Sonic the Hedgehog soon, because I think that is going to be a big thing for people to go and actually play those. But there's quite a list of games here, um, obviously some with varying success for Sega back in the day but I welcome it and uh, yeah if you've someone who's been waiting to go back and play those classic games it launches on Steam on April the 28th as a free update for anyone who owns any of the compatible games. Okay so our next article is a little bit of a weird one but one I just couldn't help but mentioning on the podcast so get ready. Are you too busy to bust your spouse? Do you think she's maybe or he? is maybe cheating on you, well, there's something here to help you out in your quest to find the true answer. A smart mattress lets you track the action, and yes, I do mean action, from anywhere. It's a gift from the insecure tech fan who has it all but hates confrontation. It's called Smartress, a Spanish-born infidelity trap, and according to the company, the very first mattress that makes your body relax by night and your mind by day when you're not at home. This is a quote from the company, I love it. Dreams up to help combat an epidemic of infidelity that's supposedly plaguing Spanish culture, Smartress is a thousand dollar or so worth of sleeping surface with a subtle layer of technology inside that even a pee-obsessed princess might not notice. Though it certainly noticed her. According to the company, the mattress's 24 embedded ultrasound sensors pick up on movement and vibration happening up on top while the Connected Beds accompanying app lets owners know if and exactly how their bed sees any surprising bounce action. That is a quote. While the owner is away, reporting details right down to the intensity and impacts per minute of the incident. Now, I don't need to go into this article anymore uh, to know that this is a crazy idea. And I think if your relationship is getting to the length of having to buy this, you really should break up with that person. If you don't trust them that much or uh, that heavily suspecting that you're going to spend a thousand, a thousand dollars on this mattress. I'm sorry to say, but maybe you should think about ending that relationship. It's a ridiculous one, but one I find really, really funny, and uh, it made me smile reading the whole thing. Uh, you know, they've got posters. You need to check this out on the Abrupt Audio website. They've got posters on their website, uh, which has things like lover detection system and goes through the layers and stuff. And honestly, it is the best chuckle I've had um, this week. So uh, honestly, definitely check it out. Martin, uh, I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this, but we're going to have to go to you and get some opinion from you here. Like you said, $1,000. You know, if you can't trust your partner that much, $1,000 worth, then, like you said, it's time to break it off. I mean, <laughs> seeing this, I actually thought, when it came on my computer, it was just an ad. I will be honest. I thought, oh, it's just an ad. And I thought, oh, no, this is the article. So I, I didn't know really what to make of it other than, like we said, if you can't trust your partner, then it's time to end it, my friend. And I wouldn't spend $1,000 on a mattress. Not in your life. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, if I spent that much on a mattress, I'd expect it to bring me tea in the morning, not tell me when someone's having action on it. So, uh, so yeah. Honestly, I couldn't even think of a use outside of the whole cheating thing where it would genuinely be useful. It's like, someone breaks into your house, maybe they jump on your bed, maybe you'll then know. Maybe if you've got a troublesome pet who always goes on the bed and you don't know whether they do it while you're away, there you go. I found a second use for it. I'm good at this. So, uh, yeah, maybe that's worth a thousand pounds to you, but if, it, if you're buying it for the relationship thing, Top tip from both of us here at Pixel Podcast. Just break it off. I'm sorry. It's hard to say, but it's for the best. Okay, our next article is about the game The Division. Yet another exploit in Tom Clancy's The Division. This time there is a way to boost your DPS almost to infinite heights. Now, as I understand, Ubisoft are going to take this off the internet today, which is the 21st day of recording. And... I feel like it's good that they've done this because the last time they had a bug, they waited around for a while. And Ben and I, we were very annoyed at this because we thought, well, while you're waiting around, people are still losing their backpacks, if you remember. And now that they've sort of pulled it off, sorted out a few bugs and niggles, which is good, which I feel was the best decision for them. This is the second big bug. And I really want this game to do really well. I've enjoyed playing uh, The Division. Ben and I play it together a bit and it's one of those games where it feels next gen however with these bugs it feels it feels like it loses the magic it feels like you sort of brought back to reality in games you want to be like you want to be um like in the division you want to be submersed but with things like this it spoils the game Ben, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I agree with you, Martin. And the sad fact is, is that this isn't the only bug going on at the moment. There are a couple of other bugs as well, which is why Ubisoft have taken the action to pull the game offline, um, as we said, as I speak, in the 21st of April for a day to try and get this solved, which is the right thing to do, I think, than let it continue on, like we said before. But um, I think this really just does go to prove that this was a massive project for Ubisoft. And I think it kind of almost proves the fact that they might have bitten off a bit more than they can chew. There's a lot more once the game hits the shelves for them to keep doing and keep monitoring monitoring than they maybe have anticipated. Uh, This isn't the sort of game that you can just shove out to the audience and then basically do nothing with it. It has to have constant attention to it all the time. And I think they may have underestimated this. And I think they're now quickly going, crap, we need to be more on top of this and do something about it, which I hope is a trend that they continue to do. Uh, Like we said, we we do play the game and we do enjoy it. So anything that keeps coming out like this basically just kills us inside because we're like, we want to enjoy this game. And there are aspects of it that we do totally enjoy. But then we see stuff like this and we're like, I'm glad I didn't go on today. I'm glad I didn't go on the day before that. I I don't want it to become unbalanced because of these glitches. And I hope that they can know exactly what players have used them and can then minus those points back off so that no one's sort of got an unfair advantage because that would honestly ruin the game uh, for me completely if someone was completely owned. And uh, one of the other bugs that we saw um, in in recent days, uh, which is one of the probably one of the biggest reasons why they're pulling offline, is there was a glitch that people could use which basically meant that they could deal infinite amount of damage to a player, which is absolutely game-breaking. If you can do that, then there's no point of playing pretty much. So, uh, yeah. Ubisoft, get this fixed as soon as possible. Keep on track of this. This is the sort of game that you just can't let your guard down because like any other online-based game, they need like a team of people basically all the time finding what the, the what the glitches are cropping up as they're coming up. Fix them immediately. Don't let them become anything big too quickly. 
So just a final article now to touch on before we wrap up this week's catch-up topics. We discussed it last week when Microsoft were trying to sue the US government to stop them from not being able to tell customers when their details and account data and all that was being accessed by the US government. Well, Bill Gates has stood up in this recent article and backed up what Microsoft are doing. Bill Gates obviously being the co-founder of Microsoft. On Monday, he expressed his support for the company's wish to inform customers about government's request for their data. Despite not being an absolutist, Gates said gag orders should not automatically be imposed when federal agencies seek access to emails and documents. Instead, privacy advocates and law enforcement should collaborate to strike the perfect balance. Reuters reports him saying at an event hosted by the publication in Washington. The quote here says, there probably are some cases where the government should be able to go in and get information about a company's email, he said, adding that Microsoft believes these should be extraordinary. Microsoft filed a lawsuit, like we said, in a federal court last week, arguing the gag orders are stopping from informing customers about government requests violate the US Constitution. So we've talked about it openly, so I don't think we're going to talk about it much more. Um, you know, me and Martin are kind of um, either side of the fence on this one. But I think it is a big deal that Bill Gates has stood up and said this, and I do agree with what Bill Gates has said. Um, I think that, you know, some of these um, silent, let's say, break into people's accounts should be done on extreme circumstances when this person is being accused of really extreme crimes. But for the little things, I think they should be dealt with a little bit more, like he's saying, a perfect balance between the users and the government. With that, we wrap up this week's Catch-Up Topics. To continue listening to the podcast, enter any 11-digit prime number after the beep. Beep. Our main topic this week may bring some sadness to your ears, so please prepare. Microsoft are discontinuing the Xbox 360s, but if you do have a 360, the good news is servers are still staying online. So don't worry, don't take out your pitchforks just yet. A quote here says, we have made the decision to stop manufacturing new Xbox 360 consoles. Microsoft has ended production of the Xbox 360, the company announced today. The system was introduced, cast your mind back to November 2005, and has sold more than 84 million units. Online services for the console, like we said, will remain available. A quote here says, while we've had an amazing run, the realities of manufacturing a product over a decade old are starting to creep up on us. This is Xbox boss Phil Spencer. Which is why we have made the decision to stop manufacturing new Xbox 360 consoles. We'll continue to sell existing inventory of Xbox 360 consoles and availability varying country by country. Xbox 360 game servers are staying online, Microsoft said. Additionally, services like Games with Gold and Deals with Gold will continue on Xbox 360, while the hardware will still be covered by Xbox support. Additionally, the Xbox 360 backwards compatibility marketplace on Xbox One will remain online. A quote here continues, the Xbox 360 helped redefine an entire generation of gaming at Microsoft, Spencer said. I am incredibly proud of all the hard work and dedication that went into developing of the Xbox 360 hardware, services, and games portfolio over the last decade. And a great to fans for their continued passion and support. Spencer also shared some big numbers that Xbox 360 players have achieved in the last decade. So let's let's go over them. Over 78 billion game hours played, almost 486 billion game score achieved, 27 billion billion achievements unlocked, a lot of billions, and 25 billion hours spent using apps. 
The X360 celebrated its 10th anniversary in November 2015. So the X360 has had a good run, but I was expecting this to come at some point. Um, how can they really expect people to buy the Xbox One sometimes if there's an X360 around? And it still was a really good choice for younger generations who wanted to play things like Minecraft uh, in, in a really an expensive way. So, uh, you know, it's been a good run for them. Like I said, they've sold 84 million units, which is absolutely incredible. And they've got these amazing game figures. Um, I've owned an Xbox 360. I still do. You know, I've played a lot of games. And I remember the original Xbox I had as well and the first time I ever played a Halo game. So, uh, you know, it kind of brings back a little bit of memories and seeing it die out really makes me feel quite that bit older because in my mind, 360 really wasn't that long ago. But of course, you know, we're talking about 2005. It was a long, long time ago. Um, you know, we're talking back to World of War, sort of Call of Duty eras and uh, the way games were then and the way games are now. We were just complaining earlier about the Division Online stuff. Things like that wouldn't have been possible in any way, shape or form on the Xbox 360 when it first came out. So uh, yeah, lots of things have changed. Martin, uh, you've been a big Xbox 360 owner. I've been more of a PlayStation owner over the years. Um, how do you feel? Funny enough, I feel like it was the best move. Like you said, why bother getting the Xbox One if there's a 360 out there and a lot of people want to play Minecraft solely on a console, so they just have the cheaper option. And obviously it's more cost effective, they're spending more money on 360s, which are last gen. People want to keep moving forward, as they say. And now they're going to have this uh, playback ability with the old games, why would you want to do that if you still have your 360? So it's great that the uh, online servers aren't going off because when I first read this article, I thought, oh, what about the online servers? But it's good that they're staying. But it's I feel like as a company, Microsoft has done the right thing and discontinued the 360. And like you said, I will remember hours upon hours when I should be doing coursework, but I was playing my 360. So thank you, Microsoft, for letting me procrastinate. The past, the present, and the future walked into a bar. It was tense. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. So before we get into this week's versus topic, we need to obviously discuss the doings of last week, where we asked about backwards compatibility, whether it's a good idea or simply just a distraction for new games companies and bringing out new ideas. Now, we put this out to the polls. Unfortunately, the podcast got delayed and uploaded due to technical issues, meaning that the poll had to go up late. And we have to record this episode early because um, of reasons that I'm not going to be here uh, later on in the week. So that kind of means we haven't given you guys enough time to vote, meaning that basically... No one has voted, meaning that we're still on the level pegging field. We'll count that as a nil-nil. Um, so we're now still 4-4 as we go into this week's versus topic. This week, we're talking about ad blocking and how an article here from Wired is saying it isn't going away anytime soon. Ad blocking is the nemesis of the news and ad industries, but despite growing efforts by publishers to combat the practice, it's probably not going away anytime soon. Market research group eMarketer today estimated that 27% of the internet users in the UK, more than 14 million people, will be using ad blocker by the end of next year. That's up from this year's estimate of 20.5% and nearly double the estimate for last year's 14%. A quote here says, there's no doubting that ad blocking is now a very real issue for ad advertisers. That's eMarketer senior analyst Bill Fisher. Next year, over a quarter of the people they're trying to reach will be wishfully making themselves unreachable. 
The prediction mirrors other reports that ad blocker usage is growing. Last year, Adobe and Pagefair released a report that found that nearly 200 million people around the world use some sort of ad blocker, costing publishers $22 million in lost revenue in 2015. Given how much money is at stake, it's not surprising that some publishers have started to push back. Some prevented ad blocking users from reaching their articles altogether. Others, including Wired, require additional readers to whitelist their sites to make ads viewable or else pay for a subscription. French newspaper Le Monde, Le Quip and Le Parisien have all experimented with ways to curtail ad block users, as have US publishers such as the New York Times and Forbes. In Germany, their media have gone so far as to challenge major ad blockers in court, so far without success. At the same time, some publishers at least are trying to show their audiences that they're sensitive to concerns over tracking and the frustration and irritation of intrusive ads. In part, this has meant seeking to prioritize other ways of making money, such as advertorial, so-called native ads, and subscriptions. Because, hey, they're better than pop-up windows, says Fisher. The good news is that the numbers like this have forced those within the industry to think long and hard about what it is that they need to do better. Now, this is what we're talking about on Versus this week. Now, a quick little thing from me. I am someone who does upload content on the internet uh, through YouTube and other means. So the, the word ad block to me is a bad word because it means that people who watch my content, enjoy my content, uh, don't then give anything back to the content creators. There are people who have businesses who can only solely exist because of ads in this way. So it is a touchy subject for some people. And I think it's a little bit of a touchy subject for me. So I've always been against ad blocking, but I do agree with the fact that it has made websites a little bit smarter in the way that they post ads. They know that if they do a lot of annoying ads or just cover a page in uh, ads, they're going to then annoy their user enough to find a way around it. So I think it has kind of done some good to the way that people display ads because there are too many ads uh, sometimes on some websites. Martin, as purely a content viewer point of view, just briefly before we go into verses, how do you feel? As I uh, say my next statement, I'll just be hiding the ad blocker symbol on my laptop. And the reason is I got it, and it is because ads started annoying me. And I can tell you the actual ad that really drove me insane. It was the old Strongbow advert, you know, the cloudy, uh, like the clouds are forming and lightning will strike the glass. And I, and this is no joke, I actually had that advert played, because I watch a lot of content on YouTube, it went 22 times in a row, like always. And that's not a joke. I actually realized this. And it was that drove me insane. I went, you know what? I don't want it. And I, and I feel <laughs> like I'm on some sort of crusade now to say that I am sort of the sort of uh, number that's making uh, people's adverts that much better and grab people. But at the same time, I know I'm costing the industry money, which I don't really want to do. But I feel like if they can make better ads and not post the same ad over and over and over again, then I would gladly stop my ad blocker. Okay, I understand what you're saying. And uh, yeah, I actually had that same Strongbow ad and I sat through it and sat through it and it didn't make me do ad blocker because I, I knew that I was still doing good for the content creator. It wasn't, I know it's not the content creator on YouTube anyway. It's not their fault that that particular ad shows a million times. It is up to Google and the way they've done business. So I don't want to hurt the content viewer because of that. And I think because none of us particularly won last week uh, in any form of way, none of you voted, obviously. I think that um, the way our sort of conversations are breaking now should be the way that um, we preference what topic that we get. I think that as you do use AdBlocker, you should preference that AdBlocker is um, a, a good thing. Uh, it's making the internet a better place. And I think I should say that it's slowly killing 
the thing. But obviously, that still falls down to the whole heads or tails thing. But that's what we prefer. Can we can we agree that? Yes, definitely. I, I feel like my that would be a better subject for me to talk about than the other. Um, Martin, go on. I'll, I'll let you choose uh, heads or tails. Choose your own fate. I'm gonna go with heads this time. Okay, so Martin's gonna go with heads, and if he gets that, he's gonna say that ad blocker is making the internet a better place. So here we go. Heads or tails? It's tails this time. It's tails, meaning that you don't get what you want, and I saw I don't get what I want. So thanks, Siri. Great. So Martin, you are going first. If you're ready, I'm gonna start you in three, two, one. Go. Okay, it's clear to see that Adblocker is killing the internet. Think about the content you look on YouTube. Like people like PewDiePie, Markiplier, KSI, those big YouTubers, they get money from those adverts. And for people who are using Adblocker, it stops their revenue coming in and that'll be it for YouTube pretty much. And then you gotta think about other places like, like Wired Magazine and Empire Magazine online. They use adverts now and then to generate even more money for more content for you, the audience. Therefore, if you're- Stop, stop. You're done. Done, son. Done, son. Okay, Ben, are you ready? Okay. Yes, I'm ready. In three, two, one. Okay, so doing ad blocker makes businesses become more smart. It's the whole fly or die mentality. They have to partner with companies and do referral links so that things that are mentioned in the article people can go and buy and then they get cut from that. Uh, they have to make ads more personally relevant. There's articles out there talking about making ads more personally relevant to the user so they actually don't want to block them because they're things that they actually care about rather than just some random crap that you don't give a shit about. Probably need to beat that. Putting power to the user to decide that if the website has too aggressive strategy, that they can then go and make things better. So, all right, all right, all right. I haven't, I haven't done that now. We've heard enough. So, obviously, it's up to you again this week to vote. Please, please, please vote. If you're listening right now, you're probably on your phone. Get on Twitter at Pixel Podcast. Hit Martin or me. Hopefully, me, but Martin or me, and then uh, vote. And then next week, that'll decide the winner. Whether Martin's going to take a lead with 5-4, or whether it's going to be myself. Oh, and not forgetting, you can also vote on the Abrupt Audio website, abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel, and it will be there as well. What do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? Pixel Podcast. With that, I'd like to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate your support and for listening every week. Uh, the listening figures have been going up and up and up, which is great. Thank you so much. Uh, like I said, you can read all the articles uh, that we've discussed this week on the Abrupt Audio website, abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. You can vote for verses. Please make sure you do. And like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we're going to be doing a 24-hour game stream on the 14th at 4 p.m. BST, which we'll be doing a live version of this podcast during. To find out more information, don't forget to go to bit.ly forward slash BLF24HR2016. Or you can check the show notes for that as well. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Pixel Podcast and abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel on the Stitcher app. And of course, on iTunes and the podcast app if you are so Apple inclined. Thank you to Martin for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening. And we will see you same place, same channel next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Pixel Podcast. Thank you and good night. Or as they say in gamer speak, G-G-N-O-R-E. And we're done. Yay. Woo. I still, I'm still picking up that previous comment of um, YouTubers working in real life. That's... Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine, though, like, someone like KSI just in Tesco's on a checkout? No. No, I really Oh, PewDiePie. Like, he has, like, 40 million subs. But he's really annoying. Sorry, PewDiePie, for listening. Uh, he's really... I'm sorry, he's just really annoying. I would literally avoid going to his checkout. You know when um, those people are saying, oh... Because he'd be like, it's PewDiePie! I'd be like, look, just put the Hovis in the shopping bag and just... Shh. You know, his people says, oh, I've detected a problem with your computer. Yeah. And it's probably like PewDiePie and it was like... Oh, tech support. Yeah. PewDiePie didn't, yeah. No, that'd be really annoying. Because he just scream a lot if something goes wrong. <laughs> That's all he does. If something doesn't go right or whatever, he just screams. But could you imagine? Sorry, it, I'm right? giving so much hate to him, but yeah. <laughs> just the best bit. It's not like this is going anywhere, so it's fine. Fair play. Fair play. Oh, PewDiePie. But I'm just imagining it, like Markiplier, like, it's just him on a checkout. Mm. Obviously, he could do other things. But yeah, I mean, but it'd just be really weird. To see no, him. they'd probably they'd probably get him like to, to like there'd be like a rivalry, right? They'd probably get him to do like all the sort of like either like the really crappy shop radio or like the announcements. <laughs> so they're like, uh, today we've got a special offer on oranges on aisle three. Thank you. I'd subscribe to KSI. Oh wait, I don't have a channel anymore. Oops. Um, you know what I mean? Like they'll probably get them to do that. So maybe like a rivalry, but like Sainsbury's has KSI, <laughs> like uh, like Tesco has Syndicate or something. Why is no one like, on this? That would be so cool to have like Markiplier announcing. Yeah, although most most of the mums probably don't know who they are. Very true. It's fine for us, but yeah. 